On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Elon Musk talks about the robo-taxi, Tesla's record profits, and more on the Q1 earnings call. Plus, Tesla makes a change to what's included with every new Tesla that's not sitting well with the community. The new standard range Model Y 2.0 from Texas gets a price tag and more. What's happening, friends? I'm Ryan McCaffrey here with you alongside Daisy the Boxer for the April 24th episode of Ride the Lightning, your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast. It's episode 351, an earnings call recap and analysis episode. These are some of my favorite to put together, even though uh, it, it always means a lot of work right at the end of the week for me since the earnings calls don't come until Wednesday most of the time. But uh, it, it is always fun. It feels good when I get to the finish line. But we're at the starting line for this podcast. And I want to say, first of all, I had a wonderful time on my family trip. And I just want to say thank you to all of you for allowing me to do that by continuing to tune in. And I've uh, received a lot of kind notes about the quote unquote vacation episode, as I like to call them, that I had for you last week with Gruber Motors CEO. Pete Gruber. As I had said in the interview last week, as a longtime DeLorean owner myself, the work that Pete and his team are doing to help keep the original Roadsters on the road, it's really commendable to me, honestly. And I enjoyed chatting with him, so I hope you enjoyed listening to that. Uh, And hey, remember the standard range all-wheel drive Model Y from Giga Texas that I talked about on episode 349 right before my vacation, so two shows ago? I had said at the time that I would not be surprised if it went onto the design studio at any time, perhaps even by the time you heard that episode. And well, at least as of me recording here on Friday, it's still not there, but I do have a bit of news for you. Pricing. I have the price on this. Uh, It is going to be $59,990, so in other words, 60 grand for that 279 mile range. We already knew the range from the EPA listing which means this is not much of a discount over the 330-mile range, long-range Model Y, that sits at $63,000. And uh, if you're wondering, by the way, how I have the pricing, a a Tesla employee kindly sent me a screenshot of their internal documentation that, uh, that mentions the price tag there. So this is straight from the source. Now, I have to be honest, I'm not quite sure yet how this vehicle fits in. I mean, just $3,000 less, you know, an extra three grand here will get you 50 miles of range, which is quite a lot, particularly when you take into account, you know, winter weather or air conditioning in the summer or headwinds or all sorts of other environmental factors, the extra range matters. So, you know, 60 for 60 grand for 279 miles or 63 grand for 330 miles. I'm sure their Tesla will still sell every single one of these standard range Model Ys that they can make once they officially put them on sale for the general public. Right now, they're just going to employees who want to order them. But uh, I would say, if you can swing it, spend the extra 3K, get the extra 50 miles of range, because as always, range is king. Um, and as I just mentioned, 
That car, the new one, is only being delivered to Tesla employees for now, and that makes sense if you think about it, right? It's This is a brand new way of building the Model Y, as I've been calling it for months, the Model Y 2.0, and this is also Tesla's most important vehicle in their entire product line. So if, there are, if it turns out that there are any bugs to be shaken out of this, better that those bugs occur on employee cars rather than become something that, that's external with the public and generates bad headlines or this or that. So it all makes sense, but hopefully the uh, general public will have access to that standard range all-wheel drive Model Y very soon. Again, I'm recording on Friday. By the time you hear this, it is entirely possible that it could go up on the design studio. There's one other big piece of Tesla news that I wanna talk about here before I get to the earnings call, which I know is the, that's the headline topic this week. And uh, this is not gonna be a fun one. This has been something that has not been received well and understandably so. It's also going to affect a lot of you listening to this podcast. Elon Musk has announced that Tesla will no longer be including the universal mobile connector with every new car purchase. In other words, your charging cable. If you ordered on or before April 16th, you will get one. If you ordered on or after April 17th, you will not. The backlash on this, as you can probably imagine, in fact, you may be experiencing that backlash. You may be feeling it right now if I have the unfortunate duty of telling you this for the first time, and I'm sorry if, if uh, it is, if you are hearing this from me. And, but that backlash has been swift. And so uh, Elon had initially phrased it this way, quote, usage statistics were super low, so it seemed wasteful. On the, parentheses, minor plus side, we will be including more plug adapters with the mobile connector kit. Okay, so that was the initial announcement by Elon on Twitter. After the backlash arrived that day, later that night, he tweeted this, quote, Based on feedback received, we will drop the mobile connector price to $200 and make it easy to order with the car. Note, mobile connector is not needed if you have a Tesla wall connector or use superchargers. I recommend installing a Tesla wall connector well before the car arrives, end quote. So there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, notice that the price of the car didn't go down by 200 plus dollars. Therefore, this is, I mean, it's a de facto price increase and it's a kick in the gut for all the first time Tesla buyers, which of course is the overwhelming majority of people. Sure, there are plenty of, there are folks out there that are buying their second Tesla that may already have a connector, but the overwhelming majority of buyers are first time Tesla buyers. But the second kick in the gut is that the mobile connector is, as of this recording and as of that announcement by Elon, out of stock on the Tesla website, which makes this a massive inconvenience for the literal usability of the car. That is not, there's nothing exaggerated, nothing hyperbolic about what I just said. I mean, this is not like getting a, like not getting a power brick with a new iPhone. 
Uh, everyone at this point has had several iPhones or you know whatever phone you have. You are already asking people, and I'm speaking about Tesla here, you are already asking people to take a big leap by switching to an electric car. For a lot of people, it's not an easy thing mentally and or emotionally. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, either you've already made that leap, maybe you did feel uh, a little anxiety about it, but you made the leap and you're on the other side and you feel good now and you're, I mean, you feel good enough that you're listening to a weekly Tesla podcast, but, uh, you know, most of, I would say a lot of us listening to this podcast or me making it are, were enthusiasts going in, very willing to make that jump. But the whole point of the transition to sustainable energy is it is a leap. It's, it's a big step to take. And I know that might sound silly and that might sound hyperbolic, (laughs) but you all know what I mean here. I mean, it is a paradigm shift moving from a gasoline powered car to an electric vehicle. The way you're asking people to basically almost completely rewire their brains from how they've operated and fueled cars their entire adult lives to not give people any way to charge it when they take delivery unless they happen to live near a supercharger. It, it's it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's I don't know a nicer way to say it. Now, I know Elon said, Have a wall connector installed before you take delivery. But the fact of the matter is, that's expensive. It's not just the $500 for the wall connector, but the price of installing that wall connector can vary greatly based on the electrician costs, the the rate the electrician's charging, and where and how it needs to be set up in your home, and whether your existing home wiring and breaker panel and all that stuff is, is... you know, equipped to handle the the higher uh, amperage of a wall connector. So I appreciate that Elon said that they would make it easy to order with the car. I want to definitely give credit there because good, that needs to happen. That is the least that they should do here. Build it into the design studio as you're configuring your car and make the language clear that you need this if you don't already have your charging situation sorted out at home. But I just feel like Tesla has, and they've done this before, not always, but we have seen this happen before where Tesla has, they've looked before they've leaped on this. They should have had this all built out and integrated into the design studio before making this rather abrupt change. And they sure could have communicated it better than just quietly removing the mobile connector from the website in terms of uh, what comes with the car. So that's some people drill down into the site. You know, people are always crawling the Tesla website to, to see what they can find. And that's how this was found. It was quietly removed from the list of things that are included with a car. And then someone in the community tweeted that to Elon. They tweeted Elon about it and waited for him to acknowledge it, which, as you heard, he did. And then there was a company memo sent out to salespeople internally that said this, quote, due to low utilization, Tesla has decided to remove the mobile connector for all new car orders. As of April 17th, any new orders will need to purchase a charging solution at the online Tesla shop. And then just after that, they say, uh, or excuse me, just after the due to low utilization, the next line is, and I'm kidding you not here, 
we are still working out a solution for the order backlog. In the short term, all current deliveries within the next several weeks will continue receiving the complimentary mobile connector. So uh, low usage, and yet they can't keep them in stock. So here, here's my take. After studying this company every single week for so many years, I have said this before, I think Tesla does the right thing more often than not. And I do believe, Elon has said, they're always trying to do the right thing. And I believe him. I've seen that. I think they've walked the walk on that. This is not great. This is not a great situation. Nobody's perfect, but this is, uh, this is not ideal. And I have a guess, an educated guess, again, based on my years of studying this company, as to how we arrived here. And my guess with that is, is this. Someone sent a memo to Elon or was in a meeting with him and said, well, we're going to build 1.2 to 1.5 million cars or so this year. And um, how do I put this, boss? We can't get enough mobile connectors from our supplier for all these cars. So then Elon said, well, are people using them? And then someone dug into some numbers that to them seemed like low usage to Elon or to the person reporting to Elon. And so that's communicated to him. And so right then and there, he just decides, okay, we'll get rid of them. Problem solved. Now, to be clear... I am in no way accusing Tesla of falsifying any numbers or twisting them to make them look low. We don't know, I don't know what low utilization means to Elon and to Tesla. But the thing is, these mobile connectors aren't just important for the psychological aspect of buying an electric vehicle, as I was talking about. And they're not just useful at home if you don't have a wall connector. They're useful when you travel. If you're at a cabin or a friend's house or a relative's house or any number of other non-supercharger places, the mobile connector is really useful. I use mine whenever I go to my parents' house in Arizona. I bought the, uh, the 30 amp uh, connector, you know, extra adapter for the top that you plug into the top of the mobile connector to plug into their dryer, which is located just off the garage. So it's nice and easy. I just back the car in and plug into their dryer outlet overnight. Now, I am fortunate that I do have a wall connector at home, but not everyone does. So I suppose the bottom line is this. If there aren't enough mobile connectors to go around, and to be clear, that is my speculation. Tesla has not said we, can, we don't have enough mobile connectors. But that, to me seems like the most logical reason that they would come to a decision like this. So if the reality is that there aren't enough mobile connectors to go in all the new cars they're building, okay, that, you know, it is what it is, but this could have been handled so much better. I mean, by comparison, the full self-driving price increases haven't exactly been welcome news to the community either. As the price has gone from eight thousand to, or well, what seven to eight to ten to twelve now, but at least those have come with a fair warning. This didn't, and now there are going to be customers that get home and can't charge, and it's going to immediately set their ownership experience off on a bad foot. This is—it's going to happen. It's inevitable at this point. You can count on it. It was, this was avoidable, but here we are. So 
<laughs> just exasperated sigh. That's the only way I can think of to finish this. So let's move on to some more fun news now. The Q1 earnings call and shareholder letter. I would say overall, heading into this, we'll see what you think when you get to the end of the recap and hear all the sound clips I've got pulled for you. I would say this wasn't Tesla's most exciting earnings call, but there were still plenty of good bits of information from Elon and the executive team. So we'll dive in here in a second. I want to start with the shareholder letter. That's where I often like to begin because that tends to lay out a lot of the the sort of uh, big picture stuff. And then we'll hear from Elon and the executive team here in just a minute. So the shareholder letter for Q1 2022 opens this way, quote, the first quarter of 2022 was another record quarter for Tesla by several measures, such as revenues, vehicle deliveries, operating profit, and an operating margin of over 19%. Our outstanding recourse debt has fallen below $0.1 billion, I guess, I don't know why they didn't just say $100 million, at the end of Q1. Public interest in a sustainable future continues to rise, and we remain focused on growing as fast as is reasonably possible. Expansion of our production capacity is core to our decision-making. In the past two months, we began deliveries of Model Y from Gigafactory Texas and Gigafactory Berlin-Brandenburg, negligible impact on Q1 gross profit. At the same time, we are putting significant efforts into in-house cell production, raw material procurement, and supplier diversification. Challenges around supply chain have remained persistent, and our team has been navigating through them for over a year. In addition to chip shortages, recent COVID-19 outbreaks have been weighing on our supply chain and factory operations. Furthermore, prices of some raw materials have increased multiple-fold in recent months. The inflationary impact on our cost structure has contributed to adjustments in our product pricing, despite a continued focus on reducing our manufacturing costs where possible. We would like to thank everyone who attended our factory opening events or watched live at home. We're excited to see people so passionate about mass manufacturing and a sustainable future. Well, as some additional context for this, one of the graphics that's in the shareholder letter, I have to say, was objectively hilarious. It was a line graph. And it was a line graph that went from January 1st to the middle of February. And it showed day by day Tesla's vehicle gross orders in the United States. So U.S. vehicle orders. And then the, it was it was titled Tesla Vehicle Gross Orders in the U.S. Super Bowl Effect. Now, if you recall, a number of other automakers ran electric vehicle ads during the Super Bowl. In fact, even one of them, the one for the Polestar 2, which seems like a great vehicle, by the way, took not so subtle jabs at Elon and Tesla in their ad. And of course, Tesla didn't run a Super Bowl ad as they've never done any traditional advertising. And yet the the reason that this line graph was objectively hilarious is because it shows a clear, massive spike in vehicle orders, Tesla vehicle orders, the day after the Super Bowl. So all the other car companies ran EV ads during the Super Bowl, and the next day, 
Tesla's orders spiked. You gotta love it. You talk about uh, living rent-free in, in, in the minds of your competition. There it is. Uh, more from the shareholder letter. Tesla had a record $3.3 billion profit in Q1 2022, and they are now sitting on $18 billion of cash on hand. In fact, under the cash section of the shareholder letter, Tesla says very simply, quote, we have sufficient liquidity to fund our product roadmap, long-term capacity expansion plans, and other expenses. Yeah, I would say $18 billion is plenty of cash, plenty enough to get the Cybertruck, Semi, and Roadster going next year. From the battery powertrain and manufacturing section of the shareholder letter, Tesla writes, diversification of battery chemistries is critical for long-term capacity growth to better optimize our products for their various use cases and expand our supplier base. This is why nearly half of Tesla vehicles produced in Q1 were equipped with a lithium iron phosphate battery, that's the LFP battery, containing no nickel or cobalt. Currently, LFP batteries are used in most of our standard range vehicle products, as well as commercial energy storage applications. As a result of our energy efficient motors, a Model 3 with an LFP battery pack can still achieve a 267 mile EPA range. Now, that number, the 50% of, of vehicles produced in Q1 having LFP, it didn't really add up to me at first because the Model Y is Tesla's most high volume vehicle and there isn't an LFP battery version of the Model Y. But remember that the wording was produced, not delivered. So presumably a lot of those cars made were Giga Shanghai selling standard range Model 3s both locally and exporting them to Europe. And then of course the Fremont factory probably prioritized standard range Model 3s on the production line here in the United States as well. Now the last item that I wanted to share with you from the shareholder letter is at the very end, under the Outlook section, under Product, so basically Product Outlook, Tesla writes, we are making progress on the industrialization of the Cybertruck, which is currently planned for Austin production subsequent to the Model Y ramp. Thus, I think we can infer that if the Model Y ramp takes 12 months at Austin, and they're at the beginning of that ramp now, the Cybertruck should go into production in the, what, maybe later part of Q2, 2023 or so. Now, later on in the earnings call, you'll hear Elon say volume production on the Cybertruck next year. So luck likely he's suggesting that the, they'll hit volume production on Cybertruck in Q4, although volume, again, doesn't necessarily mean maximum run rate by the end of the next year. All right. I've got the earnings call clips coming up for you right after this short little break. Crypto is the new thing out there, and maybe like me, you're trying to learn more about it. Maybe you're trying to make ridiculous money from it. 
Did you know that it's easier than it sounds? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that the YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest as long as you simply do what he does. So let me tell you more about James. He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel, which has over 17,000 subs and a million views. Since March of 2020, he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put 100 bucks into each one, it'd be now worth over $53,000. Remember, it's all public knowledge. You can go check it out. If you'd like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, stop what you're doing, head on over to copymycrypto.com slash Tesla. You'll find everything I'm talking about right there. My listeners can get full access for just a dollar. This is a limited time offer. So that's copymycrypto.com forward slash Tesla. Check it out. As promised, it is time for the earnings call recap. And the first note is that Elon was on it. So it made me wonder... Is he back on these calls for good? You'll probably remember, what, around a year or so ago, he said he wasn't going to do them anymore. And then he did, in fact, skip a couple of them. But now he's been on the last couple, so I guess maybe it'll just depend on what he feels like doing each quarter. But good to have him on this one. Now, interestingly, Tesla's CFO, Zach Kirkhorn, gave his opening statement first And then Elon went, which is the inverse of how it's always been when Elon's been on the call. Now, with no disrespect to Zach, I'm going to skip to Elon's because Zach's is more numbers focused. And I don't really want to dig too deep into that. I kind of gave you the top level highlight numbers there from the shareholder letters. So here is Elon Musk's opening statement on the earnings call, which is about six minutes long. Uh, Q1 was once again a record quarter on, on many levels. I re- reaching the highest deliveries, uh, profit, and, and an operating margin of 19%. This was despite a lot of chip shortages, many logistics challenges, um, and an overall difficult quarter. Um, so I'd really like to congratulate the, the Tesla team uh, on uh, achieving record profitability and, uh, and output uh, despite uh, many, many difficult uh, headwinds, um, and especially the uh, Tesla, uh, China, uh, Tesla China team uh, in, in our Shanghai factory, um, they they really had a, a significant challenges due, due to the COVID shutdowns, and nonetheless um, have been able to output a, a tremendous number of, of high quality vehicles, um, and we are already back up and running uh, with uh, uh, the, the Shanghai factory. Um, so, uh, as as Zach said, uh, we remain confident of a 50% growth in vehicle production uh, in 2022 versus 21. Um, I think we, we actually have a reasonable shot at a 60% uh, increase uh, over uh, last year. So um, let's see. Um, obviously, we began we, we, uh, yeah, production, as people know, with uh, Giga Berlin and Giga Texas in the, uh, in the past few months. Uh, so we're two uh, fantastic factories with great teams, um, and they uh, are ramping rapidly. Uh, now, with, with new factories, the initial ramp always looks small, but it grows exponentially. So, uh, but I'm, I've, I have very high confidence in the teams of both factories, um, and we expect to 
uh, ramp those initially slowly, but but like I said, growing exponentially uh, with uh, them achieving high volume by the end of this year. So, um, let's see. Um, we're also working on a new vehicle that I alluded to at the Giga Texas opening, uh, which is a, a dedicated robo taxi that's uh, highly optimized for uh, autonomy, uh, meaning it would not have steering wheel or pedals. Um, and th there are a number of other innovations around it that I think are quite exciting. Um, but it's fundamentally uh, optimized for it's trying to achieve the the lowest uh, fully considered uh, cost per mile or cost per kilometer, uh, you know, accounting everything. Um, and and so it's I think going to be a very powerful product uh, where we aspire to reach volume production of of that in 2024. So. I think that 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 really will be a massive driver of Tesla's uh, growth, uh, and we, we remain on track to reach volume production of the Cybertruck uh, next year. Let's see. Um, so it's basically uh, once again, I'd like to to thank uh, the the Tesla employees for their hard work, but also I'd like to to thank our suppliers uh, who have really gone the extra mile. Um, they, they, uh, we have an amazing supplier group, and um, I just want to say a heartfelt thanks to the suppliers that have, that have really worked day and night to ensure that uh, Tesla is able to uh, keep the factories running. And we're really at, at uh, the early stage of our journey. We uh, only crossed uh, 1 million units in the, in the past uh, 12 months uh, recently, and uh, we are we aspire to head to 20 million units a year. So we're basically 5% along the way uh, for towards our goal. And um, but we are growing you know, very, very rapidly a year over year um, and uh, remain confident of exceeding 50% uh, annual growth uh, for the foreseeable future for basically Several years, several of the next years. I mean, <clears throat> so yeah. Um, and then there's, of course, Optimus, which uh, I was surprised that people did not realize the, the magnitude of the Optimus robot program. Um, this, the, the importance of Optimus will become apparent in the coming years. Uh, those who are insightful or look, listen carefully. Uh, will understand that Optimus ultimately will be worth more than the car business, worth more than FSD. That's my firm belief. Um, so, and, and then of course, insurance is 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 growing well. Um, we expect to address the. The, the part shortages that limited our progress with batteries and solar. So we expect batteries and solar to, to also grow well this year. And um, basically, the future is very exciting. I've never been more uh, optimistic or excited about the future, Tesla's future than I am right now.
Remember how the shareholder letter that I went over a moment ago said that Cybertruck production would begin in Texas after the Model Y hit volume production? Well, I have to revise my prediction already because here is Elon saying that they expect Texas to achieve that volume production by the end of this year, meaning that the Cybertruck production could start as early as Q1 2023, which would also make sense because, again, you just heard Elon say that they're on track for volume production of the Cybertruck next year, and that ramp takes, according to Elon, about 12 months. Thus, I think we can now reasonably surmise that the Cybertruck could very well go into production in less than one year from now. Could that change for any number of reasons? Definitely. But I'm just doing the math that Elon is laying out for us here. Uh, also, he really doubled down on his ultra-optimism for the Optimus robot project, saying that it could be worth more to Tesla in the long term than the car business. I will be flatly honest with you here and say that I'm having a hard time picturing it in such grandiose terms right now, but I'm also a just simple non-engineer brain. I, I'm just a regular person. Once there's a working prototype, I will be very happy to keep an open mind on that, and I, I hope it blows us all away. I look forward to seeing that. And then finally, the big thing from his opening spiel there that probably jumped out at you, because it's what jumped out at me, was the robo-taxi. As expected, it will not have a steering wheel or pedals, making it a full level five autonomous vehicle. That is some serious Westworld stuff right there. And we're gonna hear a little bit more about the robo-taxi in a minute. But first, the most upvoted retail shareholder questions the first one of which was about what Elon is seeing internally to justify his optimism that the full self-driving beta will be ready to release to all paying FSD customers by the end of the year. Well, with respect to full self-driving, uh, of any technology development I've ever been involved in, I've, I've never really seen more kind of false dawns or, or where it seems like we're going to breakthrough, but but we don't, as I've seen in uh, full self-driving. And ultimately, what it comes down to is that to solve full self-driving, you actually have to solve real-world artificial intelligence, uh, which is which nobody has solved. Um, the whole road system is made for um, biological neural nets and, uh, and eyes. And so, actually, when you think about it, in order to solve uh, uh, full self-driving, we have to solve uh, neural nets and, and cameras um, to a degree of a capability that is on par with and really exceeds humans. Um, and uh, I, I, I think we will achieve that this year. The best way to uh, reach your own assessment is to join the Tesla full self-driving beta program. We have over 100,000 people right now enrolled in, in that program, and we expect to broaden that significantly this year. So uh, that's that's my recommendation, is, is join the full self-driving beta program and experience it for yourself uh, and take note of the 
uh, rate of improvement with every release. And we, we put out a new release roughly every two weeks. Uh, so, it, uh, and you'll see a little bit of two steps forward, one step back, uh, but overall, uh, the rate of improvement is incredibly quick. So, that's my recommendation for reaching your own assessment is, is literally try it. The magnitude of the FSD problem is honestly incredible. I mean, my puny brain wouldn't even know where to start if you sat me down and said, we need to figure out full self-driving. How should we do that? And it sounds like Tesla had to pivot multiple times to arrive at the path that they're on now. But, you know, it makes sense the way that Elon explains it, right? At least it does to me. By the way, when did we go from 60,000 people in the FSD beta to 100,000? That is a huge jump, and I bet a lot of you out there are still waiting to get in. So the good news is it sounds like they are admitting people and they plan to continue to admit more people soon. In the next clip, uh, Elon was asked about the impact of the Shanghai shutdown. Yeah, we did lose a, a lot of important days of production, and, and there's there are sort of upstream supplier challenges where a lot of suppliers also lost uh, many days of production. But uh, our Tesla Shanghai, Giga Shanghai is coming back with a vengeance. Uh, so I'm, I think uh, notwithstanding, you know, new issues that arise, I think we will see record output per week um, from Giga Shanghai uh, this quarter, um, albeit we are missing a couple of weeks. So um you know that that means that most likely uh vehicle production in q2 will be similar to q1 maybe slightly lower um, but it's also possible we may pull the rabbit out of the hat and and be slightly higher but it's be call it roughly on par um but uh then but then q3 and q4 will be substantially higher um so it, it, you know, it, it seems likely that we'll be able to produce uh, over one and a half million cars this year. Is my, that, that's my best guess. Uh, and then Model 3, uh, it's important for new factories to be focused um, on uh, and have the least amount of uh, complexity and variation, which is why uh, Gigable and Gigatexas are focused on the Model Y. Um, it, it's it's from the point at which you have a factory complete and you and and you're making a, a small number of units to the point where it's uh, uh, producing high, high quality vehicles uh, in volume uh, is uh, you know sort of nine to twelve months from start of production. So. Now, hopefully, we're, we're getting better at that ramp, so maybe it's a little less. But uh, to, to get to sort of the 5,000 a week uh, level is typically taking us uh, around 12 months from start of production. Well, that didn't seem to be any confirmation that Berlin is going to make any other vehicles besides the Model Y, at least anytime soon. I mean, I'm sure they will eventually. I mean, I think they could be a good candidate to build the Roadster, for instance. But it seems like it's going to be Model Y only for the foreseeable future there, especially since they are still on the Model Y 1.0 over in Berlin for the time being. Next, an important question. Elon was asked about price increases. 
Um, actually, on the, on the price increase front, I should mention that it may seem like like maybe we're being unreasonable about increasing the prices of our vehicles, given that we had record profitability this quarter. But the the, the, the wait list for our vehicles is quite long. And some of the vehicles that people will order, uh, the, the wait list extends into next year. So uh, our prices of vehicles ordered now are really anticipating uh a supplier and logistics cost growth uh, that uh, that we're that we we're aware of and believe will happen uh, over the next uh, you know, six to twelve months. So uh, that that's that's why we have the price increases today because a car order today would will, will arrive in some cases a year from now. So we have a very long wait list, um, and um, we're, we're obviously not. Uh, Demand limited. We are production limited by very much production limited. I never really thought about all of the recent price increases this way, but it does make sense. Does it make them any less painful? No, I don't think so, but the logic is there. Now, on this topic, I want to skip ahead for just a moment to an investor question from later in the call that complements this answer nicely. In short, Elon was asked, are we getting more price increases? Will more price increases be coming? And here's what he had to say. Well, we, we hope we don't need to increase the pricing further. Um, the current pricing is anticipating uh, what we think is the probable growth in, in costs. Um, and if, if, those growths, if, if that growth in cost does not materialize, we actually may slightly reduce uh, prices. So... Um, so we don't currently anticipate making, um, you know, significant price increases. Um, but but obviously we don't we don't control the macroeconomic environment. <laughs> if governments keep printing vast amounts of money, um, and um, you know, and 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 if if there's not if there are not uh, significant increases in uh, lithium uh, extraction and refinement and and the other raw materials such that everyone's competing for a, a limited amount of raw materials, then obviously the, that will drive prices uh, to, to high levels. Um, so if, if, you, if, you, if you have a crystal ball that can tell us what the future is going to be like, we'll adjust accordingly. But the current prices are what, what we... The, the current prices are for a vehicle delivered in the future, like 6 to 12 months from now. So this is our best guess. But, um, but I think if you zoom out, right, like... As you said, our mission is to accelerate the transition to sustainable energy. So yeah. like, we are working with our existing suppliers and others to figure out how to grow all of these raw materials as quickly as possible to not slow down the transition. Yeah. And, you know, whether that means we have to get directly involved in some cases or not comes down to the counterparty and their willingness to expand at the rate we think they should be able to expand. And that that's similar to what we've done with everything else. Like we built a gigafactory in Reno because it needed to be done. Yeah. And so like we, we will do what needs to be done to not slow down the transition. And affordability is a goal because yeah, it's unaffordable. It It's going to retard the growth of, of what is inherently a good thing. So we, we can't have that as an outcome. I know Elon said they might lower prices, quote, a bit. But if you'll pardon my pessimism, he didn't sound super confident or even enthusiastic about it. So... Unfortunately, it looks like cost challenges are here to stay for the foreseeable future. Therefore, if you are on the fence about buying a Tesla, 
you might want to consider ordering sooner rather than later, if your situation allows, of course, because prices are only likely to continue to inch upwards with seemingly, again, in my interpretation, only a small chance of them going down at any uh, point for any amount of money. All right, let's get back to the highlights from the retail shareholder questions, which have, uh, which are mostly really good ones. And this one was a good one. How are the 4680 battery cells performing so far relative to what Tesla expected when they laid all of this out back at Battery Day? Here's Drew Baglino. We're, we're working in all the areas we shared um, uh, on uh, Battery Day. And we have sort of consistent progress across all of those areas towards achieving the five-year cost trajectory uh, goals for the costs within our control. But we do not control uh, all of the commodity costs. So, you know, that, that's, that's an exception I need to call out. Um, similar to Model 3, it will take us several years to get rate and yield to the point where everything that we've discussed is, is achieved. Um, our priority was on simplicity and scale during our initial 4680 and structural battery ramps. And as we attain our manufacturing goals, we will layer in new material technologies we, we are developing and higher range structural pack revisions. Um, uh, I think uh, maybe in a nutshell, sure. uh, I think it probably is fair to say that uh, 4680 uh, and structural pack will be competitive with the best alternatives uh, uh, later this year. Um, and and we'll, we think we'll exceed the best alternatives next year. Yeah, I mean, we have some good existing proofs, right? Like we've built the facility here in Texas. Like we know how much we spent on capital equipment in the facility. And it's, you know, more than 5X less than prior uh, technology uh, installations. So we're saving huge on CapEx uh, on utilities and, and personnel. We, we're, we we know what, what, what those loads are and how many people are needed to run what is basically in a, a highly automized factory. And we have massive reductions in both of those. So like the cost model is, is well understood. It's really about rate and yield, which will come in time, as Elon said, over the course of this year and next. Well, I don't have much to add here. It sounds like everything with the 4680 cells is thankfully going according to plan, which quite honestly is great news for the future of Tesla. I mean, remember that battery day where they laid all this out as more or less just a plan on paper at the time, that was less than two years ago. And now here we are, and there are Teslas on the road utilizing these new cells. That's just awesome. I mean, think about that for a second. It's stuff like this that keeps me being really excited to be a Tesla fan. Now, this next clip didn't interest me for the question itself, which was about securing raw materials for the extreme scaling that Tesla is planning on. But the details of the answer did fascinate me. Take a listen to this. Yeah, so this is something we think about quite a lot. It depends on what extreme size means, but um, you know, so certainly if you're like looking at like say the uh, five, ten, twenty million dollar, try five, ten, twenty million vehicle um, levels, uh, the, you really have to analyze the sort of macroeconomic, uh, you know, just like. Just like what is the tonnage of uh, lithium that you need, of nickel, of iron phosphate, of uh, graphite um, separators, electrolytes, uh, electrolyte? You know, it, it, it really need to think of the, like just macro tonnage. Um, 
And when you think about this for the world as a whole, uh, because, you know, just uh, like with, we want to figure out what, what are limiting factors for accelerating the advent of a sustainable energy future. Um, and, and whatever those limiting factors are, Tesla will take action on those limiting factors. So right now we think um, um, mining and refining uh, lithium uh, is, uh, it appears to be a limiting factor. Um, and it certainly is is uh, responsible for quite a bit of cost growth uh, in the cells. It's like, I think the sing single biggest cost growth item right now, uh, certainly on a percentage basis. Um, although just for those who, who don't totally know this, uh, the actual content of lithium in a lithium ion cell is, is maybe around two or three percent of the cell. So yeah, five kgs a car. Yeah, it's it's not <laughs> five kilograms exactly. It's it's not. Um, it's called a lithium ion cell, but by far the like the most expensive and he and heaviest item in the cell is the cathode. <laughs> um, so that's the the nickel or the uh, iron phosphate. So um, we're, we're looking carefully at all of the uh, raw materials um, and and trying to figure out how we can accelerate the, the total amount of raw materials needed to transition the world to sustainability. Um, and I think we've got, you know, that we don't have enough time on this call to really go through all those details, but we are thinking about these things, and uh, we think we'll have some exciting announcements in the months to come. Yeah, one thing I, I want to call out is, like, we're also, you know, committed to recycling at all of our cell factories. Um, yeah. We're recycling 50 tons a week right now in Reno and ramping to 150 with all of that reclaimed material going directly back into our cathode supply chain. So we're looking at the beginning and end of life uh, uh, needs here. Yeah, and, and that's true. Like since Reno, we built Gigafactory, and we started doing that with batteries. But as we built newer factories or vehicles, for example, Giga Texas here, where we are today, we said it was all of its uh, non-yielded or scrap aluminum from the stamping shop directly into the casting shop. We regrind any plastic that yeah. goes out. And so we're really concerned about raw materials, not just like mining them and consuming them, but when we get them in the door, using all 100% of them. Yeah, Lars, that, that's a great point. Um, so we're storing, we're installing um, sort of uh, melt furnaces for um, for aluminum, like so for the, you know for the Model Y that we build here uh, in at Giga Texas has both a front and a rear bo uh, body casting. So we're, we're casting almost two thirds of the body, and then that's cast it's high pressure die cast aluminum, um, and uh, so. We can take both aluminum, both scrap from the casting machine, um, and the, the gating that comes out, and and put that back, just really toss that back into the melting aluminum melting pot, and then as Laws was saying, also take uh, any stampings um, and any other aluminum scrap, um, and also throw that in the melting pot. Uh, and, and in fact, um, we, we've also uh, figured out that we can use um, wheels, wheels from from practically any car. Um, Thank you, wheels. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're going to be recycling um, the uh, aluminum cast aluminum wheels from um, legacy gasoline cars as well, and 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 throwing that in the melting pot uh, <laughs> for our uh, aluminum cast body of uh, Model Y, and um, you know, and, and also we'll, we'll we'll be moving to uh, the, the sort of cast front and rear body, uh, you know, in in all vehicles over time.
well, actually, maybe not SX, but 3Y. So I love the detail in this answer. I love that they try to use every piece of scrap metal, everything they can. And it sounds like your Model Y could be made partly of recycled gas car wheels that they melt down and use in the forge for aluminum. And you know, recycling is such an important topic too, so I'm glad that they proactively spoke to it here. I mean, battery recycling, from what I've been seeing, that seems to be one of the next big talking points that the Fudsters have moved on to. As EVs and Tesla specifically continue to be more and more successful and these Fudsters just keep running out of material, they always pivot to the next thing. Like, okay, well, what's the next thing that we can, you know, try to poke at here? Well, what about battery recycling? Because they're going to fill up the earth with all these dead batteries. And the reality, of course, is no, that's not the case. So, you know, between Tesla doing stuff like what you just heard them describe and J uh, Tesla co-founder J.B. Straubel's new company, Redwood Materials, whose whole existence is built around battery recycling, we've got some ammo to combat that FUD with. If you're not familiar with the term FUD, it's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And it is what the haters, for lack of a better term, like to, uh, to do to try and slow Tesla down, to sink the stock price, to you know, change people's minds against Tesla and ele against electric vehicles, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, the next question was an important one that I speculated about last week. And this is probably the thing you're most curious about from the opening statement that Elon gave, and that's the robo-taxi. The question, will we be able to own a robo-taxi or will Tesla own them all themselves? Uh, so I think we want to hold off on, we, we don't want to jump the gun on an exciting product announcement too much. So I think we'll aim to uh, maybe do a product event for RoboTaxi next year and, and get into more detail. Um, but we, we are uh, aiming for um, volume production in 2024. A non-answer there, I know, but I wanted to play it for you anyway, if only for that tidbit about there being a tentative intention to have an unveiling event next year. It means that next year, 2023, we should have a lot of really exciting and fun Tesla events to look forward to. The Cybertruck launch event, the Tesla Semi launch event, the Roadster launch event, and the RoboTaxi unveiling, in addition to the usual, you know, annual shareholders meeting, whatever else uh, that might pop up. So that's an average right there of one per quarter. It is going to be a fun, fun, busy year. Now, next, we go back to the analyst questions. And this one was a very valid one. What about the affordability of EVs in the face of all of these price increases? We absolutely want to make um, EVs as affordable as possible. It's been very difficult with the, um, you know, I mean, I think inflation is at like a 40 or 50 year high. Um, and I think the, the the official numbers actually understate the true magnitude of inflation. So, um, and, and that inflation appears to be likely to continue for at least the remainder of this year is, is what it you know, when, we, when we're talking to suppliers, the suppliers are under, under severe uh, cost pressure. So, um, yeah, you know, and it, in some cases we're seeing 
suppliers request 20, 30, 20 to 30% uh, cost increases for parts from um, you know, last year to the end of the you know to the end of this year. So it's there's there's a lot of cost pressure there. Um, that's that's why we raised our prices because we in a, in, when things are this uncertain with with respect to inflation, if you know it's high, then we, and we're we've got orders that go out a year or more in some cases, then we have to anticipate those those cost increases. Um, but uh, I think especially with the robo taxi and autonomy, I think we will end up uh, providing uh, consumers with by far the lowest cost per mile of transport that they've ever experienced. Um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, with the robo taxi, like maybe five to ten times lower cost per mile, it's really quite substantial. And therefore, accessible to everybody. Yeah. I mean, it, looking at some of our projections, it, it, it would appear that uh, a robo taxi ride will cost less than a bus ticket, a subsidized bus ticket, or subsidized subway ticket. I get that Tesla's in a tough spot here. I mean, they know that affordability is important, but market forces are making it very difficult for them to achieve that. It sounds like the robo-taxi is aiming to solve the problem of sustainable transport that's also affordable. We don't know if we can own one. We don't know anything about the robo-taxis yet, but it's clear that Tesla is thinking of them in terms of cost per mile since Elon mentioned that very phrase a couple of times on this call. Next up, is the situation with raw materials going to affect EV adoption for all companies? Not just Tesla. Here's Elon speaking to that. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, you know, what what's sort of keeping um, our costs down, at least in the short term, is that we have long term contracts with suppliers. But those long term contracts will obviously run out, and and then uh, you know we'll start to see potentially significant cost increases. Um, but but the at a macro, sort of looking at the world as a whole and saying. Uh, Okay, what does it take for Earth to transition to sustainable energy faster? It's it's fundamentally uh, the fundamental limiting factor is the output uh, of the cell, the basically cell output. Um, at what rate can lithium-ion cells increase the gigawatt hours per year? That is the fundamental limiting factor. Um, so. In order, for, and and that will move as fast as the slowest, least lucky element of the whole supply chain. Um, currently, we see that uh, as being a, a challenge uh, with lithium, um, and, and it's not that. To be clear, it's not that there's a, a shortage of lithium ore in the world. Lithium is present almost everywhere. Um, it's a very common element. Uh, however, you you still need to to you know dig up the uh, or dig up basically the spodumene or whatever the the, the clay uh, with the lithium, uh, and and then you need to go through a whole series of re refinement steps, and that's a lot of industrial equipment that's needed uh, to go to refine uh, lithium or to lithium that can be used as lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate in um, the battery cell. Um, so we we think we're going to need to help 
the industry on this front. Um, um, but the, I mean, the industry is growing fast. And I certainly, you know, encourage uh, entrepreneurs out there who are looking for opportunities to get into the lithium business. Uh, right, right. The lithium um, margins right now are practically software margins. Uh, I mean, if the, if the uh, I think of it's something literally. I think it, there's there's a. Uh, I mean, does that correct me if I'm wrong? But I think um, we're seeing cases where the the, the spot lithium price is uh, ten times higher than the cost of extraction. Uh, so not like we're talking ninety percent margins here. <laughs> can some can more people please get into the lithium business? It's if, if, if do you do you like minting money? Uh, well, the lithium, lithium business is for you. Um. <laughs> Tesla's going to start their own lithium mining division very soon, aren't they? It'd make perfect sense with their philosophy of vertical integration, and quite frankly, it's their M.O. when they have a problem that needs solving that no one else is able to solve for them, or at least up to their standard, for whatever the reason. Next uh, was an interesting two-part question. How many parts will the Cybertruck have, how many fewer parts will the Cybertruck have compared to a traditional pickup truck, and will Giga Nevada make any vehicles? Um, I'm not sure if we've actually done a comparison of uh, Cybertruck parts versus regular truck parts. I mean, Lars? Uh, yeah, I mean, like if, if you want to go down, the, like, depends on what you kind of part. Like, we still have cells, and they're, you know, still all in cells. Like, if we yeah, can, that shouldn't count. If we don't count that, like, so the simplicity of our structure is is, is significant versus a, a, a traditional, um, you know, pickup truck or any other vehicle. Like, you know, as we've talked about their giga castings, we save hundreds of, of yeah. parts there. I mean, the entire rear kind of half of the car is a one car. is one one casting. And even uh, still with the Cybertruck and the doors, for example, we have an exoskeleton design where the door is ready to and it takes all the, 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 the you know the side load from impact. So we really have like we don't have the door reinforcements, we don't have the yeah. crash and intrusion beams. So like, to your point, I haven't counted them because I don't often look back at uh, at old technologies to decide how well I'm doing. I check that once in a while, but uh, in general, our architecture is always moving to reduce complexity, reduce parts, and reduce parts count. I would say, ignoring the battery cells, we were probably, you know, 20 to 30 percent less. All right. Um, okay. Uh, thank you. Let's go to the next. Nevada. Oh, Nevada. Oh, 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 do we expect to expand? Yeah, we do. We, we do expect to expand Gig Nevada. Um, there's there's a lot of room for for expansion there, and and we do expect to uh, uh, increase uh, output from from Nevada. Um, uh, but but the, 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 by far the, the biggest increase in output will be from Giga Texas. Well, it's unfortunate that Elon and Lars either ducked or forgot about the question regarding making vehicles in Nevada there, because I would have liked to have heard the answer to that. Still interesting to hear the parts count comparison estimate from Lars, though. I actually would have guessed that the disparity would have been bigger. But uh, point is, I cannot wait to see this final truck. And it shouldn't be too much longer. That's the good news. Two more clips for you. First up, will Tesla open up the supercharger network to non-Tesla vehicles here in the United States? Yeah, as as Elon has said, and as we've publicly committed, yeah, we, we do plan to, to uh, provide third-party vehicle access in all over the world, not just in Europe, where our original pilot was. And we are um, working on solutions in North America, which is a little bit more problematic with our uh, 
connector being different than others. Um, uh, but we are, you know, we are moving in that direction. I don't know if you want to add. Yeah, yeah, I think that's there's like more to be said on that front. We're, um, yeah, we want to do the right thing with respect to the whole the whole system. Mm -hmm. And we're going faster on adding chargers. Absolutely, right? with the growth of the cars that we're producing, and then anticipating what Drew is discussing. Overall, charger capacity is really important, and so the the pace of our investments in supercharging has accelerated. Absolutely. I don't mean this to sound snooty to my non-California listeners, but this could be a problem in California. Yes, I know that we are very fortunate to have a ton of superchargers here, but we also have a ton of Teslas here relative to anywhere else. As it is today, many of the San Francisco Bay Area superchargers are reasonably full at most hours of the day. And from what I hear and see pictures of online, the Los Angeles area superchargers are worse. Those can get big lines going. I mean, I suppose the good news, and I don't mean this in any kind of backhanded way, so I hope it doesn't come off that way, is that there really aren't a ton of third-party EVs out there in any big numbers right now. So maybe Tesla figures that the growing supercharger network here in the U.S., can handle the occasional non-Tesla car, since of course, not every non-Tesla EV owner is even going to want to buy the inevitable adapter that they'll need or even know about this at all once it does go online. We shall see. One final question to close out the earnings call, and it was about the take rate on Tesla insurance. This is a bit of a long clip, but it went to an interesting place. So take a listen, here's Zach. Um, so we just launched Tesla Insurance um, for real-time insurance in Virginia, Colorado, and Oregon earlier this week. Um, maybe one step that I'll share. So Texas is our longest-standing real-time insurance market. But based upon the information that we have, you know, Tesla is the second largest insurer of Teslas in the state of Texas. And um, possibly by the end of this quarter, maybe early next quarter, will be the largest insurer. Uh, of Tesla's. And so, you know, the customer reception to this has been quite positive. And um, uh, if I was reading social media on Monday after we launched in the three new states. Um, you know, a lot of folks were reporting their stories of saving quite substantial amounts of money relative to their previous insurance. And so we're quite encouraged by that. And we're working as quickly as we can to get to 80% of customers having access to a Tesla insurance product by the end of this year. Uh, in the United States, you know, at which point we'll pivot our attention to expansion outside of the U.S. Um, the other thing I'll say on insurance is with these three new states, um, the, the model is different because we are now the underwriter and we are also now holding the risk. And so uh, with those states, we are a fully vertically integrated provider of insurance um, from systems and financials. Uh, with, with respect to the financials of the program, it's still very early. And so, you know, as the program gets more scale, uh, happy to share more information on that. And one, one side note is that we are seeing that the that having real-time uh, feedback for uh, driving habits uh, is actually um, resulting in Tesla owners uh, driving the cars uh, in a safer way. Um, so, you know, because they can see the, they get real-time feedback on Okay, this is this is affecting my insurance rate, uh, or it isn't. Um, and 
and so when people see can consider see a real time score, um, I realize oh if I if I make the following changes in my um, driving habits, then I pay less in insurance. Then they have a you know a, a very like a, a real time feedback loop for uh, driving for safer driving and an incentive to do so. So it is actually what we're seeing is it is causing people to drive uh, their cars in a safer manner, uh, which is also not good. It's safer on average, what we see in the data to Elon's point and uh, premiums are lower. Uh, we see that in the take rate data, we have extremely high retention uh, for customers who experience the product. And, and I think I've talked about this in the past, but this has become a real passion program for us, yeah. you know, for these benefits. It's, it's bigger than just the economics. We're trying to do a good thing here um, for our customers, save, save people money and make the roads a little bit safer. Yeah, I think it improves just overall macroeconomic efficiency. Um, it's also a feedback loop for, for Tesla uh, because we see uh, if, if there is, um, you know, a crash, um, large or small, like uh, we, we, we sort of see exactly what that cost. And, and, and now we're, okay, think about how can we change the design of the car or the software uh, in order to minimize the probability of that uh, you know accident these because most accidents are minor um, but how do we have those accidents occur less frequently and uh, and how do we make the repair associated with that accident that accident uh, super fast like aspirationally it'd be like same day repair from for a collision you know which is just night and day difference compared to sometimes having to wait for a month while insurance claims are settled and figured out and because because te tesla is also doing collision repair um but yeah the feedback loop is instant yeah right so i mean we do claims management in-house and so we receive the notification that there's an accident we work to prepare the estimate and um and we can you know with the support of our customers use our collision centers to do the repair yeah and so it's you know full end-to-end -end visibility and all of that to elon's point we can then identify areas of cost inefficiency, feed those back to engineering teams or elsewhere, software teams, actually improve the product, which lowers the cost of insurance, improves reliability of the product. So it's a full full circle. Yeah, and it's, I mean, they, they, basically the customer experience uh, is just vastly better um, because if there's an accident, it, it, there's no argument, we repair it immediately. Um, and this is as compared to arguing with an insurance company and then a claims adjuster and then a collision repair center. And uh, this, is, this can be a nightmare, basically. So we want to try to turn a nightmare into a dream with Tesla Insurance. First, that whole turning a nightmare into a dream would make a great marketing slogan if Tesla ever decides to advertise Tesla Insurance. Second, it sounds like Tesla is aiming to have a sort of virtuous cycle with this. Real-time feedback leads to safer driving, leads to cheaper rates, and then the cycle continues. It's pretty cool. I guess I should take another look at the online quote uh, on the Tesla insurance website. I had looked back when it first launched, since I live in California here and that's where it first launched, so it was a while ago now, and when I matched it up, apples to apples with everything in my current policy at all the same coverage levels, it had come out to about a wash for me 
which made, uh, made it not worth it switching to for me at the time, particularly since I've got an umbrella policy with my insurance company now. But I'm going to have to dig in and take another look, and, and maybe you'll want to as well. So there you have it, another earnings call in the books. The next big Tesla event should be the annual shareholders meeting in early June, provided they do get it back to that time frame. That's when we should find out about how the stock is going to split, if the stock is going to split, and then if it does, if that uh, does get approved by shareholders, how, how many uh, ways it's going to split. So we shall see for now. We're already over an hour deep into the show, so I am going to skip the Ride the Lightning hotline for this week, but please feel free to keep your phone calls coming. Either leave a 90-second or less message on the Ride the Lightning hotline at the toll-free number 1-888-989-8752, or record the same 90-second or less call on your smartphone and email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. And after this super quick break, I will come back with your pro tip of the week and more. Stay with me. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. Before I get to your pro tip of the week, I have to tell you a fun story from my vacation. I was walking on a a path adjacent to the beach, just a nice little walk in the afternoon, beautiful out there, and I was wearing one of my Tesla t-shirts. And this kid, probably maybe a a 10, 11-year-old boy, somewhere around there, just stops me and says, oh, I love your shirt. We have a Tesla. And I was like, cool, which one do you have? He said, we have the Model X. I was like, cool, I have a Model 3. And he, and he starts just talking and talking about how much he loves Tesla and how into it he is. And I was asking him if he's, if he's uh, had his dad set up the, the Model X uh, Xmas dance for him. And I was talking to him about, about uh, you know, the Model 3 and everything. And it's just, I have to say, this kid, he reminded me, this is going to make me sound like an old man, but I guess at 41, I, I'm trending in that direction at this point. It reminded me of me at that age, like being super interested in certain things where I would stop and talk to people about it. And I just loved talking to this kid and he, he brings over his mom and then his dad. And I'm talking to his dad about their model X and I tell them about the podcast. And, uh, so if, if that family, uh, that model X owning family happens to now be listening, welcome. Hello. It was great to meet you, but it just, I'll tell you, this is going to sound sappy and, and maybe uh, a little too sappy, but this, that's what it's all about. I mean, kids get it. Like kids, they aspire to have Teslas. In this case, this kid was lucky enough that his family already has one, but he will probably aspire to own a Tesla of his own someday, whatever model is, is available when he's you know ready to try and buy one in however many years from now. But that's, that's just it. Like Kids now don't think about like, oh, well, it's electric and I don't want to drive electric because I love my gas car. It's they just don't. They're not wired that way. They're just they're growing up with Tesla being normalized and being cool and being something to aspire to. And the future is bright. I mean, I I was telling my wife this story and we were saying that, you know, it's Tesla is so supply constrained now. We're still at the tip of the iceberg, the tip of the spear if you will. 
as this new generation grows up, it's just gonna be more and more people that want Teslas, that want electric vehicles. It's awesome. The future is bright. And I'm so glad that this kid stopped me and talked to me about Tesla because it made my day. I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, All right, pro tip of the week time. It comes from Tom in Littleton, Colorado. Hey, Ryan, Tom from Littleton, Colorado. Uh, Back around Christmas time when we got the new UI update, I was disappointed as it appeared the functionality for switching map modes had disappeared. Uh, there was a icon to the f- kind of on the right edge of the map that was a squiggly icon that represented route overview, and you could touch that to see the route overview and then touch it again, and it would switch to a different map mode and touch it again and switch to a different map mode. And that was just gone. And But I just found out yesterday, just fiddling around, that it actually is still there. Uh, you can touch anywhere on the map, and then it'll appear in your turn-by-turn directions in the far upper left corner of the turn-by-turn direction area. Or you can pull down on the turn-by-turn directions and, and it appears. If you don't do anything, it'll disappear. But while it's there, you can touch to toggle between the map modes. And so I looked up in the owner's manual just now and it lists those three map modes as uh, one is north up, where north is always at the top of the screen. The other mode's called heading up, and that says uh, the direction you are driving is always at the top of the screen. The map rotates as you change direction. This icon has an integrated compass that integrates the direction you are driving. So the nice thing about that is uh, you get the compass when you're in that mode, and it's great when you're in a city that, where you don't know which way is north. And then you touch it again, and it goes to the route overview mode which uh, basically zooms out and shows your whole route overview. So that's how you switch map modes. Uh, my fellow Tesla owners also thought that had gone away. They they never saw it hidden up there uh, uh, where they moved it to. So, so if your listeners are wondering where it went, that's where it is, at the upper left corner of the uh, turn-by-turn directions. Thanks. Bye. Tom, thank you very much for this pro tip. I know that different people have different preferences with regard to their nav settings, so I suspect you will make a lot of your fellow owners very happy by sharing this information. I appreciate you calling in with it. And if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week, something interesting about their car that's maybe not obvious, not in the manual, that you'd like to share with everybody, please call in. You can do so the same way that you call in with the regular Ride the Lightning hotline calls, and I gave you the instructions for that just a few minutes ago. Time to get rolling, but before I do, let me mention some friends of the podcast that maybe can be of use to you, starting with abstractocean.com, the Costco of fine aftermarket Tesla accessories, as I like to say. You just go to abstractocean.com, sort by which car you have, and then enjoy the just dozens of excellent, useful aftermarket items that may be of interest to you, Things like the rear footwell lighting kit, which I think are that's an awesome product for the Model Y since those uh, seats are up on lifts. They're, they sit a little higher. You can have that area underneath the front seats lit up, which looks nice from the second row. The drop-in cup holder stabilizer, the fourth-gen tempered glass screen protectors, the LED lighting kits for the inside of the car if you want to either brighten it up, change the color, etc. All that and so much more at abstractocean.com. Use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout 
to get 15% off of your first order. That's RTL Podcast, all one word. Meanwhile, the Snap Plate is available at everyamp.com slash RTL. Don't forget the slash RTL. And it's available for all four Teslas, Model 3, Model Y, Model X, and Model S as well. It is the front license plate bracket that snaps on and off in seconds, but it's secure, but it won't damage anything or affect anything. It's not gonna stick to your paint like the one that the that comes with the car does. It's not gonna do anything with your grill, your radiator, your autopilot sensors, uh, parking sensors, nothing. It's just a nice, simple, minimalist design that blends perfectly with the front end of the car when it's installed and leaves no unsightly hardware behind when it's removed. So you can take it off if you're cleaning the car, if you're out for a nice drive, put it back on if you're gonna park in town at a parking meter, etc. cetera. Uh, so just grab yours if it is of interest slash use to you at everyamp.com slash RTL. Meanwhile, budget safe solar. Every Tesla owner probably has a pretty good idea. If not, they know exactly the cost of their electricity that their Tesla uses. But the thing is, we know that information today, based on today's electric grid rates, nobody knows how much those rates are gonna go up in the next five, 10, 15 years, except people with solar. So if you've thought about getting solar installed at your home or office, you can contact friend of the show, Budget Safe Solar at budgetsafesolar.com. I mean, sure, you're probably gonna look into Tesla solar as well. I would, uh, but if, if that doesn't end up working out, try budgetsafesolar.com. Their, their cute motto is capping tomorrow's energy costs today. I think you have to read that with like that wartime 1940s uh, announcer guy kind of, you know, uh, just enthusiastic voice. Anyway, uh, if you've considered entering the growing field of solar yourself, they'd also like to talk to you. So either way, you can learn more, reach out to them at budgetsafesolar.com. And if you do end up going through with an order for solar, please don't forget the referral code RTL. I would sincerely appreciate it if you would include that. How about Immaculate Reflections? Been taking amazing care of my car, which I've named the Spirit of Adventure, for nearly four years now, because my four-year anniversary is coming up, and uh, they will take great care of your car as well if you and your car are going to be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Why not bring the car to Immaculate Reflections? There's a discount waiting for you if you mention if you book any work with Immaculate Reflections and mention that you're a Ride the Lightning listener, whether you want to do paint protection film over some or all of the car, maybe you want to do paint correction, maybe ceramic coating so that you don't have to wax the thing for the next three to five years because that's how long ceramic coating lasts. You can do any of that, all of that, whatever works for you uh, through Immaculate Reflections. Go to the website irdetailing.com. You can see examples of Jeff's work there, uh, and as well as email, get in touch with him, and book in with him, irdetailing.com. How about Pure Tesla? PureTesla.com slash RTL. Don't forget the slash RTL. That's your one-stop shop for all your dash cam and sentry mode needs because it's gonna last quite a while. Their micro SD-based setup is designed for the constant reading and writing 
that the dash cam and Sentry do in the way that the standard USB flash memory is not designed for that kind of workload. It is a turnkey plug and play solution. Get yours at puretesla.com slash RTL, 49 bucks for the 128 gigabyte kit. Honestly, that's probably enough, but if you just wanna have a ton of storage on there, there is a 256 gigabyte kit for $69. Comes fully formatted, ready to go out of the package. Works with Mac or PC. They will ship anywhere worldwide, but there's free shipping anywhere in the US. They also sell the wireless slimline game controllers as well. If you do play a lot of games in your Tesla on the car's screen, you might want to look into those as well. You can get all of that at puretesla.com slash RTL. And then Jada. My friends at Jada, uh, whether they've you want to do the Jada USB hub console, which is just this all-in-one wonderful uh, organizational product, including the Jada tray. It's got the storage organizer, the USB hub, the Apple Watch charger, the AirPod charger, all that. Uh, there's also a uh, wireless charging pad for older Model 3s like mine, which I highly recommend. I am using version three in my car, but version four is what they're selling now. It's got an even nicer fit and finish than mine does because I think they, they did it in a different material, I believe is what it is. So uh, if, you, if any of that is of interest to you, please use my referral link to order, which is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight and use the coupon code RTL for a nice little discount there. Thank you to Jada for offering that coupon code to my audience. All right, uh, you can subscribe slash follow the podcast totally free on any of your favorite podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, although TuneIn makes me wanna bash my head against the nearest wall. If you try to search for TuneIn, search for this podcast, uh, through TuneIn by just typing in Tesla, it doesn't come up. It's ridiculous, and I, I don't understand. I have had a big, long email thread with them, and I don't get why, like, the Tesla is in the name of the show. It's Ride the Lightning Tesla Unofficial Podcast. It's not the first word, but it's in there. Sigh. The good news is you can still find it. Just search you can either search my name, even though my last name is annoying, McCaffrey, M-C-C-A-F-F-R-E-Y, or just search Ride the Lightning Tesla in your car, and then it will come up. Sorry it's a hassle. I have tried to fix it, but sadly, I've gotten nowhere. I've even had listeners trying to help me. Shout out to Bob for trying to help me. Uh, anyway, Spotify. I'm on there as well, and you can listen to Spotify natively in your Tesla as well. It's a little easier on Spotify if you want to do that. Uh, in any case, I just appreciate you listening wherever you're listening, whether, wherever you listen, whether it's in your car, while walking your dog, whatever the case may be. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also on YouTube, just FYI. No video, but the, the audio is syndicated on YouTube if you just want to listen that way. If you always have a YouTube tab open on your browser, you can type in, you can search Ride the Lightning Tesla. That will pull up my channel instantly and you can subscribe there. And every new episode, of course, goes out at the same time it goes out to everybody. Finally, the Patreon. That is the primary way through which you can choose to support my efforts here on Ride the Lightning. There's no better example of the work I put into this podcast 
then this episode, the quarterly earnings call recap and analysis episodes, these uh, hopefully it it sounds like a lot of work goes into it because it does. And I'm happy to do it. I enjoy doing it. I'm proud of the work that I've been doing on here. Uh, I feel like nobody else is really doing it the way I do it. And hopefully you enjoy the format and you enjoy the recap and analysis that I provide. If at some point, maybe it's today, maybe it's next week, maybe it's next month, you want to support the podcast, go to my Patreon page, which is found at patreon.com slash Podcast. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And there are different support tiers there that you can choose to support at on either a monthly or annual basis. And the annual, if you choose that, there's a 5% discount, which is pretty nice if you want to commit for the year. But in any case, the support tiers start at just 5 bucks a month. And in return, uh, you will get not just uh, the podcast and my thanks, but you will get early access to each week's episode, which hopefully is a nice little perk. And then there are more perks at each tier and they stack and they go and they stack. And uh, the higher, the more you're able to support, the more I try to thank you with various perks and privileges. So uh, again, the Patreon page can be found at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. And with that, let me thank the higher-level Patreon backers, the Plaid, Maximum Plaid, and Roadster in Space tier. I'm going to start with the Maximum Plaid backers because there is a new person that's uh, kindly joined that group, KB. Thank you so much, KB, for your generous pledge. Along with the rest of the Maximum Plaid crew, Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, John Schmidt, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisneski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Tyler Smith, Corey O'Donnell, Matthew Graham Droneberger, Scott Gillis, Aaron Huxley, John Cody, Aaron, Sonar Tech 77, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, and Zach Schwartz. Thank you all very much. The Roadster in Space tier backers are Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Crafty Geek, Richard Stokes, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Iacovetto, and Tesla Hitchhiker 42. The Roadster in Space tier uh, backers get all the perks, including a one-on-one Zoom hangout with me each month. And I'm looking forward this weekend. I've got uh, chats with Tesla Hitchhiker 42 and Lawton from Chicago lined up. So I'm looking forward to chatting with them, catching up. And then the Plaid level supporters, a huge thanks to all of you as well. George Cassioppo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, 
Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, The Lydia Family, Aaron Altshul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, The Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, The Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Rick Dean, Not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado. Uh, I got to meet in person, have lunch with Jared Brown recently as well uh, from the Plaid Group. It was great to meet him face-to-face. He was down in in town here in the, the Bay Area. It was nice to sit down, talk some Tesla with him. All right, that will wrap it up for episode 351 of Ride the Lightning, your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast. I'm Ryan McCaffrey, joined by a napping Daisy the Boxer, and I wish you all a wonderful week. I'll see you, of course, every Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. Happy electric motoring, my friends, and I'll see you soon. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.